Good morning. What a great day to be together and to worship together and to hear from God's Word together. And as we hear it together, we also challenge each other and hold each other accountable with what we've heard. We walk from this place and we care for each other by reminding each other of the grace of God that is poured out on us through God's Word here. We're in Ephesians. We're in Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. If you would turn there, and if you would stand with me, we're going to open with the reading of God's Word this morning. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become par- partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord." Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Life in the orphanage, it wasn't much of a life at all. In fact, so empty was it that she often, on late nights, would come up to the window and look at her reflection in that dark window and imagine it was a friend. A friend who lived in this magical world that was far better and far more beautiful than the one that she lived But when Anne was mistakenly sent to the home of Marilla and Matthew Cuthbert, instead of that that crazy lady's house, the crazy lady who had the ten children, who was just exasperated, going out of her mind because there was kids running everywhere, instead she was sent to this, this brother and sister's home, and life forever changed for Anne. Being adopted into the Cuthbert home, it meant an entirely new future, filled with wonderful and different possibilities and an incomparably better walk 
through life. And the same is true for a lot of children who have been adopted. Not only do they live in a new location, enjoy a different way of life, they interact with new people, but, but something changes. Something now transforms in their life, whereas once they had no place, now they, they belong. They have a new identity Yeah, they still may be the same person, still may have the same past, and yet everything is changed from here on out. There's a new relationship with others, isn't there? A new lifestyle, new outlook on life, new way of behaving, and an entirely different hope now for the future. The way they're going to walk through life, well, it's different. It's forever changed. And Paul tells us in the first chapter of Ephesians that God intended from the very beginning, he intended to adopt us into this new family that he was creating. Not only was he going to deliver from sin, not only was he going to rescue from the the death sentence that we rightly deserved, not only was he going to transfer us from a bad location to a good location, from death to life, from an impoverished life to a life of riches, he was going to make us his own. We were going to be his people. He was going to be our God, and we would be forever changed. The last few weeks we've been talking about When a person places their trust, their faith in Jesus Christ, when they come to grips with the reality of their own sin and their need for a Savior, when they turn to Jesus and lay it all down and say, Jesus, I need you. I I trust you. I can't do it on my own. Please forgive me my sin. I know it's terrible. Wash me clean. Help me to trust you. I'm yours. When when that happens, it's like they've been brought out of darkness and into life, into light. They're no longer just in that cave looking at those shadows on the wall thinking that's reality, but they're brought into into reality, into brilliant, life-saturated reality. Now everything looks different. Rather than gazing at those dim, dark, fuzzy images, now they see in in, in brilliant, three-dimensional, super HD. It's incredible. Out of darkness, into light, called to put off that old way of life, that old self, and put on this new self. And part and parcel with that comes this exchange. And we talked about that last week. There are things that we now exchange. Once we did this, now we do this, right? We exchange lies for truth. We exchange bad anger for good anger. We exchange stealing for giving. And we exchange words that that cut and just tear down for now words that, that build each other up. We saw how Christians in the, in, living in the light, they need to show Christ-like love to each other. Right? Amen? In our passage this morning, Paul takes it up a little notch here. 
And he's going to help us see how our new identity in Christ, being adopted into his family, how that does far more than just determine where we sleep at night or who we call dad. It does far more. It points us to something fundamental, something essential that changes in our very being, in our very nature. And the implications of it are great. Look at verse 8. He says, At one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Notice he doesn't say, you, you were darkness. He doesn't say that, does he? What does he mean when he's talking about being darkness here? He, 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 he doesn't say you were in darkness. He says you were darkness. And you might be thinking, okay, well, um, I understand what it means to be in the dark. I've been in the dark many times in my life. But what does it mean to actually be darkness? Darkness isn't a person. It's not a thing. It's not something tangible that you can hold on to, grab hold of. It's the absence of something, right? So what does it mean that I am darkness? Well, when Paul says that we were darkness, he says that not only were we in the dark, not only were we participating in things of the dark, but we were actually spreading the dark ourselves. You've heard of the duck principle? If it, if it looks like a duck, swims like a duck, walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, well, then it probably is a duck, right? Well, if we walk in the dark and we talk like the dark and we spread the dark, chances are we probably are the dark. In other words, we're part of the problem here. Remember what he said in Ephesians 2 verse 1? You were dead in your trespass and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. He's not saying, he, he, he says that you were following the evil one. You were doing evil things just like he wants you to do. Things that were not pleasing to God. It's kind of like this. If you decided that you were going to start building some bombs and you were going to go place them in highly populated areas and you were going to set them off just at the right time when the population was, was greatest there, we don't say that you are like a terrorist, right? You are a terrorist. That's exactly what you're doing. And you might say, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, that was really extreme. That was, I, I don't fit that uh, analogy. I'm, not, I'm nowhere near that sinister. In fact, my life is pretty tame compared to most other people's lives. I've seen villains on TV. I've watched some of those superhero movies, and those guys are bad. They are nasty. I am nothing like that. I've looked at the news, and there are people far worse than me. The real bad guys out there, well, they're those zombies that just want to munch on people. Those are the real bad guys, but I'm nowhere near anything like that. And that's hopefully true. <laughs> I hope none of us are zombies in here. It's, it's true, 
there's, there's always someone worse, isn't there? We can always look around us and we can say, well, at least I'm not that over there. Yeah, I, have, I may have some issues, but really, you know, we can overlook those. Anyone would overlook those. That's the bad person over there. But you know, the thing is, Paul wants us to see is that from the worst of villains to those who, you know, they really wouldn't hurt a fly, all come under this umbrella of sin. All are sinful and all are darkness. You were darkness, he writes. To be in darkness means at least four things. There might be a few others, but this is what I got here. First of all, it means you are doing the work of Satan. In John 8:44, Jesus said, "You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires." He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. According to Jesus, if you are not children of God, then you are a son or daughter of Satan. I don't like to think of myself that way at any point in my life. That sounds really, really harsh, doesn't it? And he's saying there's no in-between here. There's, there's no orphans here. It's not like you're just out there on your own. I don't really have a dad. You know, I'm just doing my own thing. No, no, no. Everyone has a father, either one that is truth through and through or a father of lies. And if the father of truth is not your father, then you're doing the work of your other father. Paul says you are following the prince of the power of the air. And what are some of the things that people who follow the prince of the power of the air, what are the people who are doing Satan's work? What are the things that they are doing? See, what we're doing here this morning is we are drawing a very, very clear line between right and wrong. We live in a world where everything has become gray, and we say that, well, you know, it's, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm a child of light, but I, I, it's, a little, it's a little dimmer over here, and it's okay to hang out here. It's not dark, but it's, it's not completely brilliant light over here. We're drawing a very, very clear cut line here, and it's not going to feel good. But Lord willing, the Holy Spirit is here among us, and he is going to work in our hearts, and he is going to bring conviction where conviction is necessary, and he's going to lead us toward holiness. What are some of the things that the darkness brings about that it participates in? Look at verse 3. The sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Paul mentions sexual immorality, he mentions impurity, he mentions covetousness. And I don't want to dwell too long here, and I don't want to get into too many gruesome details, and yet I think it's important that we do at least highlight a few things. Sexual immorality, it's uh, the way we translate the, the Greek word porneia. And because of the way that word sounds, we ought, our minds automatically go to pornography. And certainly, when this word, it encompasses that, but it's not limited to it. It's actually a more general word that is describing all sexual deviance, all sexual type of sin, sexual impurity. Then he mentions uh, sexual immorality. Then he mentions impurity. 
another Greek word that's even more general than porneia. And it simply means unclean or filthy. You remember when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and he looked right through them? They looked white, they looked clean on the outside, but he knew that something was foul inside of them. You're like whitewashed tombs, he said, right? And he used this word, impurity. Now that's one example of its use in the New Testament. There are ten others, ten others that refer specifically to sexual sin. And that can include impure thoughts, fantasies, urges, all sorts of sexual desire and expression that are outside of the way God designed it. Sexual immorality, impurity, and then he mentions covetousness. And this really fits right in line with those two others because covetousness, greed, it's all self-focused, isn't it? It all looks to what I can get for myself. And in relation to these two other words, you were talking about looking to stuff or to people that do not belong to us, and we desire them, and we crave them, we covet them, so that we might receive some type of pleasure from it. Remember Exodus twenty seventeen: You shall not cover your, covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor. Paul's painting here a very, very bro- with a very, very broad brush, and he's saying that all sexual sin, from dreaming about it to actually physically doing it, that's part of darkness. We'd love to, to parse all of that out and say, well, there's, there's sexual sin, and then there's this, and then there's this, and it becomes all semantics, doesn't it? And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. It's, it's, I'm talking about everything here. This is the work of darkness. He says, this should not even be named among you. We try to rationalize this kind of sin, don't we? We say things like, well, I'll be sexually pure once I'm married. And when I'm committed to someone, I've made my vows, well, then I'll get serious about it. But for now, what's wrong with a little fun? I'm, I'm free until I lock myself down on that altar, right? Or we say things like, uh, well, you know, we're engaged. Come on, what's the big deal? We're practically married anyway, please. Or we say, you know, I'm, I'm too old to get married. I mean, that's, for, that's a young person's game. You know, what's... Uh, what does it really matter at this age? Or, or my, my spouse has been giving me the cold shoulder, so... Uh, or they cheated on me, so it's only fair that I return the favor. I mean, we could go on and on and on, and we could probably come up with thousands of different ways that we rationalize doing things that we know we shouldn't be doing. And yet none of it is acceptable according to God's word. It shouldn't even be named among you. There's no possibility that this kind of behavior is ever acceptable for Christians to participate in. Because to participate in them is to go back to the darkness. This is what those who are in darkness, who are darkness, do. Now it might be possible to look at this, what Paul's describing here in verse, uh, was it three? 
and say, okay, wipe the sweat from your brow. I've never done any of those things, so I'm in the clear here. It's possible. Maybe not very likely, but possible. But even so, we can't look at these three things, sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, and assume that we're in the clear. We can't do that because of verse 4. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which is out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Some people think that actions are all that matter. As they look around, they say, hey, I'm not committing any act of sin here, but I can tease about it, I can joke about it, I can talk about it all I want. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk, nor crude joking. All three of these describe what comes from a perverse mind. What comes from a perverse mind? Vulgar speech. From, from the heart, the mouth speaks, right? I think there's, there's reason for, for us to check ourselves here. You may not be someone that goes around, you know, spreading those emails like I got in, by many friends in high school. Like, oh, I can't. This is, this is heavy stuff. You might not hang out at the water cooler and be the guy telling those dirty jokes. But, but think about this. I think there's reason for the average American Christian to do some serious soul-searching, self-examination, especially when it comes to our standards for entertainment. Now, I've thought it before. I've thought it before. As long as I don't see anything come across that screen that's, that's explicit or graphic or lewd, then I'm good. An off-color joke every now and then, uh, that's not such a big deal, is it? But think about this. If Paul is saying that we shouldn't be joking about corrupt sexual behavior, then how on earth... Can it be okay for us to willingly subject ourselves to it? To, to sit there and listen to it. Let it soak in. To laugh at it. And even enjoy it. It, it doesn't add up, does it? It doesn't add up. This is the stuff of the darkness. It takes what God created and He made beautiful, fantastic, sacred, and it twists it, and it distorts it, and it corrupts it, it cheapens it, it mocks it, it trashes it. When Christians save themselves for marriage, or they turn away from some type of sexually explicit entertainment, or, or some, some other type of sexual immorality, the reality is, it's not because they're squares. It's not because they're passionless drones. It's not because they're haters of pleasure. But it should be. It should be because they treasure. They treasure the wonderful gifts that God has given in love and physical intimacy. And they don't want to see them be destroyed. We talked about bad anger and good anger last week, didn't we? 
And there is a good anger that looks around and sees the perversion of what God has made wonderful. And it says, I hate that because it wrecks this wonderful, this amazing thing that God has made. I don't want that. I don't want any part of that. John Stott wrote, The reason why Christians should dislike and avoid vulgarity is not because we have a warped view of sex, that is, thinking it's some type of bad thing that we need to be scared of, or ashamed of it, he writes, but because we have a high and holy view of it as being in its right place God's good gift, which we don't want to see cheapened. We don't want to see it be made less than what it really is. To engage in sexual immorality or to joke about it is to, be like, is, is to be acting like those who are still in darkness. Not only is being darkness about doing the works of Satan, it's to be, number two, under, really under his control. People tend to think that running around in the darkness, that's the way to be free. Just throw off those shackles of fundamentalism, of religion, of my parents' rules, of everyone who told me, you know, all those, those uh, sticks in the mud, you know, those killjoys. I am free. I can go do whatever I want. And yet the reality is, the reality is to be darkness is to be a slave of darkness. Paul wrote in Romans 6.16, do you not know? Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? One pastor wrote this, The unbeliever is, is totally bound and imprisoned by Satan through sin. He cannot do anything but sin. He cannot obey anyone but Satan. Fallen man thinks he's free only because what he wants so closely agrees with what Satan wants. Those hearts are beating in line with darkness. And so our hearts say, I want this. The darkness says, yes, we free ourselves to do it and bring about our own harm. Some people say no to the gospel of Jesus because they think that that becoming a Christian is to put those shackles on. I'm giving up my freedom, and now I'm going to force myself to obey and worship and serve God. But the reality is, it's, it's the other way around. It's the other way around. Those in darkness, according to God's word, are the ones enslaved and under control of the one who wants to tear their lives apart. It's like going over to the zoo and you see, I'm just coming up with this on the fly. You go to the zoo and and you see the lion cage and you see the fence that's there. You say, why do they do this to us? I paid good money to come in here. Why do they have to separate me from these beautiful creatures? Let's tear this thing down. I got to get over there. It's not a good idea. Just in case you were wondering. Paul said, for freedom, Christ has set us free. All life outside of Christ is slavery. Being in darkness, it's to be doing the work of Satan. It's to be under the control of Satan. And three, it's to be destined for punishment. 
Look at Ephesians 5, 6. Paul writes, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Don't be deceived, he said. You've heard of the Gnostics before? These were people back in Paul's day who said that the only thing that really matters is, is knowledge. And if we can find a seek, the secret knowledge, well, then it's going to bring freedom. Knowledge, the world of, of ideals and thinking and spirituality, that was, that was everything. The physical life, on the other hand, was nothing. We don't need this. It's not important. And what that led people to, to think was, okay, well, if it's not important, then I can do whatever I want with my life and with my body, with anyone and, uh, and everyone. It doesn't matter. I can be in their control. Paul said, don't let anyone deceive you. Beliefs like that are deceiving. And in our world today, there's other deceiving, empty messages out there. Empty, that is, in, they're empty of truth. You may have heard of, um, uh, of this thing called universalism. It's the idea that, that God is just, he's far too kind and far too loving to condemn anyone to eternal punishment. That, how is that even in the Bible? We just ripped this out because it's not consistent with this God of love that I think I see in here. He couldn't condemn a, he couldn't hurt a fly. And they think that what they're saying and what they're perpetuating is, is this kind, wonderful, new uh, I, way of approaching Christianity. It, love wins in the end. It's, everyone's just going to be in this, caught up in this wonderful heaven. And it doesn't matter whether they lived good lives or bad lives or what they believed. And it doesn't matter. It's all good. And yet it's empty. And it's deceptive. It's one of the cruelest lives that a person could actually share with another person. It's cruel because it devalues the cross of Christ. Because it leads people to think that they're okay when they're really, really not. And it leaves them dead in their trespasses and sins. Sure, you can go out, you can live any way that you want. It really doesn't matter who you sleep with. It doesn't matter what you do in secret or what kind of thought life you have. Go swear like a sailor. Go tell those jokes. Use God's name in vain. He's really just a big teddy bear and everyone gets hugs in the end. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Deceptive, empty words, they lead to consequences. They have consequences. Being darkness is to be destined for God's punishment. This is the bad news that makes the good news so very good. A a fourth thing. To be darkness is to be headed for eternal darkness. Jesus said that those who have not stepped into the light, Matthew 8, 12, shall be cast out into outer darkness. In that place there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Being darkness is a terrible thing. A terrible, terrible thing. And we cannot... (laughs) We cannot say that clearly 
and loudly enough. It's that bad. I shouldn't try to sugarcoat it in any way, shape, or form. This is terrible. You don't have to be the worst of the worst. In fact, darkness is where we all start out. And if something doesn't change, eternal darkness is where we're headed. What an awful, terrible thing. But, and we've said it before in Ephesians, haven't we? But, if you have placed your trust in Jesus Christ, that is not you anymore. Look at Ephesians 5.8. At one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. You were darkness, but now you are light. Sometimes the, the Bible talks about Christians being in the light, or it talks about walking in the light, of the light. Paul says, you are the light. You are the light of the world, Jesus said. When, it, when you come and trust Jesus, your entire identity changes. You've been adopted into the family of God, and you now bear his name. You actually give off the same light that Jesus gives because he's within you. You're now children of light, Paul says. So what do you do? Well, you walk as children of the light. How do children of the light walk? Look at verse 1. He says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Children of light, how do they walk as children of light? Well, they imitate their father. They imitate God. We're imitators, we're, we're image bearers of God from the very beginning. That's the way he created, created us. Human beings were to be this testimony, this living testimony of the character attributes of God, especially when it comes to holiness. Leviticus 11.44, God makes his desire very, very clear. Be holy, for I am holy. Or to be imitators in holiness. First Peter 1.14 As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. We know to be holy is to be set apart. And you're set apart for a special purpose. You are clean, you are uncorrupted. So obviously, anyone who is a child of God, walking as a child of the light, called to be an imitator of God, and in God's holiness, how could you possibly participate in this sexual immorality, in this impurity, in this covetousness? That's not holy. How can you represent God and, and put his holiness on display in your life, a testimony. This is what God is like. How can you do that when you're practicing all this kind of stuff? It doesn't add up. It doesn't work. We walk as children of light by imitating our Father. We imitate him as we strive for holiness. We also imitate him as we love like him. And Paul makes that very, very clear in verse 2 here. Walk in love as Christ loved us, gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering, sacrifice to God. The world takes love 
and it, it crushes it. It distorts it into this twisted, self-serving, self-indulging, greedy, hedonistic mess that just wreaks havoc on our lives. That's what it does with love. Children of the light, on the other hand, they show Christ's love for what it really is. A love which leads a person, drives a person to give themselves up for the good of others. Verse 7 says, don't become partners with them. How could we? How can, how can light have any fellowship with darkness? How can we be partners with the darkness anymore? We're not children of light. We're people who were created in God's image. Yeah, we were distorted. When we came into sin, we were distorted, we were darkened. But when we turn to God, when Christ came and, and His Spirit called us back to Him, we were brought marvelously back into His brilliant light. He's made us new. We were participating in darkness. That's who we were. You're not there anymore. So don't go back there. As those who have been brought out into the light, we need now, we need now to walk as children of the light. Paul urges in verse 8, walk as children of the light. For the fruit of light, what, what, what light produces, is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what's pleasing to the Lord. We need to be thinking about what, 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 what will please the Lord. I, I'm, I'm His, I'm light, His light, His, I'm in His light now, I'm supposed to be emanating His light. Well, what will please Him? And so we got our noses in this book. I, well, I want to know. I've got to figure it out. Am I, am I doing it well? Am I representing Christ well? Do I know him well? I need to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And then he says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Instead, expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of things that they do in secret. Notice that he says, instead of participating in these things, what's your job? We need to expose it. Now, does that mean that we go around and every time we see something that we think is darkness, we yell, darkness, darkness, darkness. Is that what we're doing? And we, it's like, boo, boo, how dare you people? Darkness, I'm light. I don't think that's where we're supposed to go here. But you know, as we refuse to participate in those deeds of darkness as we walk away when those bad jokes are being told, as we step away from our group of friends who are going to go to that movie or to that club or whatever it is that they're going to do, and we know we can't go there, as we allow ourselves to look like these backward, pietistic oddballs by saving ourselves for marriage when everyone else says that's a waste of time. As we do all of that, the light shines and it exposes darkness for what it really is. And certainly we do that for each other in the church, don't we? As we lovingly, courageously, graciously call one another out when we see each other dabbling in those gray areas, the gray areas in the darkness, we expose it. And remember the motivation. It's not condemning. It's, hey, brother, hey, sister, 
you're going back. You're headed in the wrong direction. You're going back to the darkness. This is going to kill you. Come back over here. Come let your light shine as Christ intended. That's what children of the light do. That light goes out and it shines on everyone that people, other people, might be brought in. Be brought into the fullness of that beautiful light. Paul writes in verse 13, But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Children of, children of the light, they refuse to participate in or even joke about sexual immorality. Instead, they imitate God in holiness and love and expose the darkness so that others might be brought in to the light as well. So the question is, what are we? What are we? We know we're not saved by the things that we do. That's all what Jesus did on the cross. It's by his grace that we are saved by faith and nothing else. It's what Jesus did that saves us and hurls us into his marvelous light. But if you and I truly believe in him, then something fundamentally changes within us. We were darkness now we are light. We're not the same anymore. If the way that you and I live gives evidence of that change, then what does it say about who we are? What is the way, how does the way you are living testify to the reality of the change that's happened inside of you? Do our actions point to the fact that we are children of light or children of darkness. When I was a youth pastor, I, I used to think that my main job was to help these students realize, become absolutely convinced and confident that they were indeed going to heaven. You, you, you said that prayer, you're going, baby. You're there. You're good. Enjoy. You're one of us now. Let's be clear on that. But you know, the longer I, time I spent in ministry, the more I realized that my job wasn't so much to convince people that that's who you are, but instead it became so important for me to help people realize when you see sin in your life, it should drive you back to the cross. If Jesus is who you are trusting in, and you see failure in your life, well, the thing I want you to do is not say, just say, well, you know, I'm okay. You know, I'm a Christian. See, I have it written right here in my Bible, the date when I accepted Christ, and I'm good. No, 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 no. But if you are a, a, a genuine follower, a genuine believer in the cross of Christ and the good work that he has done, when you see sin in your life, you should look at it and you should say, this is awful. How did this well up inside of me? What is going on in me? I know Jesus is the only place to turn. And you run to the cross and you lay it down at his feet. And you say, Jesus, thank you for saving me. Rid me of this. Because this is killing me. I was darkness. But Jesus, I trust you.
Friends, when we see darkness well up within us, the last thing that we should be thinking is, oh well, I'm forgiven. Instead, we need to take sin in our lives seriously. Instead of shrugging it off when sin rears its ugly head, let's be people who stumble back in horror at it and come running to Jesus, acknowledging our sin for what it really is, thanking Him for the sacrifice that He made, pleading that He do work in our lives that we might shine brilliantly as children of light, and then worship Him for how awesome and beautiful and wonderful He is, our Savior and our Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, we... Father, as we consider the darkness and we consider our past, we are grieved. We are grieved, Lord, at the despicableness, the putrid, the rottenness of our sin. And Lord, even even in our minds, I think when we consider what it means to be in darkness, we consider that it's doing the works of Satan under his control. There's even something inside that says, whoa, 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 really? But it's true. We find this in your word, Lord. What a terrible, what an awful thing the darkness really is. And yet our world takes the darkness and it polishes it up and it says, this isn't so bad. In fact, this is way better than anything that you got on that other side. And they're lies. Deceptive, empty lies. The same old darkness. The same futile destiny, Lord. And we don't want it. In fact, Lord, I pray that you would lead us to hate it because we have tasted and seen that you are good. We have stepped into the light and see how wonderful and brilliant it is, Lord. And we know what it means to know Jesus Christ and to have hope and joy and peace. Father, you are so good. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for not ignoring our sin, for brushing it to the side, but Lord, you dealt with it on that cross. And we stand clean and forgiven this day because of what Jesus Christ did for us, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that we would stand boldly, confidently in the light. Not dabble in the gray areas, the dark areas, Lord, but we would say, I want to be in totally completely like peter lord wash us completely clean head to toe change me lord make me a child of the light and help me to shine brilliantly in the darkness lord especially as we come into the month of october into a time where darkness is celebrated lord may you show us opportunities to burn brilliantly for you on our streets and in those stores that we go to, in the communities that we are a part of, Lord, in the midst of darkness, with the light of Jesus shine powerfully in and through us, Lord, that the darkness might become visible and that people might be brought into the light. Would you use us, Lord? 
You have been so incredibly good to us. And we are so very thankful. We want to worship you now with hearts that that break and are filled with joy. And Lord, may we live lives of, of worship that go far beyond these next few minutes, this next song, Lord. But may we worship you as we walk around and do what we do this next week. We love you. Thank you, Lord Jesus.